Hey, everybody. Just want to let you know that I've included time hacks in the show notes. So if there are certain ep- parts of the episode you want to go to quickly, you can look at those and hop to that time frame. Enjoy. Hey, Jason. Daniel from Bandit's Keep. Uh, calling in about your episode 178, the unboxing. So I don't know the system you're talking about. Um, although I guess I could Google it, but now I'm driving. Anyways, but I just wanted to say, you know, Westerns are so interesting to me. I love Western games. I've never run a whole campaign, though, since, you know, in my adult life. Um, we used to run them a lot when we were kids. Uh, but I find that, like, I don't know, every couple of months, I love to just run a Western. I usually use the old Boot Hill system. And uh, I just think it's a really kind of nice palate cleanser, just for lack of a better word. It's very different than anything else I run, you know, which is generally is sci-fi or fantasy. There's just something really simple and, and beautiful about a Western game. So, uh, yeah, I love Westerns. Thought I would just tell you that. Well, park yourself a beer or a cold libation. Let me tell you how I wrote this little thing. I went and took a call from Brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him, what you got? He said, I'll start off with some talking and some moody clips and popcorn fighting, fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation, kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxings, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the dogs come on, contests and of course you know it's all about games. I said, slow down, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. At the top of the show, you heard Daniel of Bandit's Keep, both podcast and YouTube channel, who is defending Western RPGs as a genre. I love Western RPGs. I recently did an unboxing of one. And I'm going to hold the name of that, the system it's based on, for a little bit longer in case Spencer calls in. But yeah, I ran a Boot Hill 2nd Edition play-by-post last year, and it fizzled out like play-by-post do. But, yeah, I, I really enjoy the genre. I look forward to playing playing or running a Western sometime soon. I've kind of got that itch again. Um, yeah, I, I, Westerns have been around since the very beginning. Most people have heard of John Peterson, who wrote the book Playing at the World, and he's got a new book out now. But his blog is also called Playing at the World, and he recently did an article on a 1970 Western war game that included role play elements in it. And I've got a link to that blog in my show notes, so go check that out. But as much as I'd love to sit here and talk about Westerns, I've got a slew of calls for Marlon Walker on a variety of subjects. So Arlen Walker, of course, does Live from Helm's Wasteland, which is also a podcast and a YouTube channel, which, of course, there are links. So I'm going to go to Arlen's first call. And we'll go from there. Take it away, Arlen. All right, Jason. It's Arlen again. I'm calling in. Um, I was going to call in and say that I don't think Joe is right about Pathfinder being the direction that Gygax would have taken a third edition of AD&D. And then I listened to Minion's calls and thought that he was was totally on the money, especially the point about Castles and Crusades, which it probably should be stated just to be clear that Gygax was still writing RPG material when third edition and castles and crusades were out. And he wrote material for castles and crusades, his last, 
published material is actually for Troll Lord Games and the Castles and Crusades system, which I think doesn't necessarily prove definitively that he preferred Castles and Crusades to third edition D&D, but it probably says a lot about what he liked what he liked and what system he felt like it was worth writing for because he, you know, with the OGL license, he could have been writing material for D and D third edition pretty easily and, and chose to write for castles and crusades instead. So, and, and I think ultimately Joe has a, a point about the direction that AD and D went, that there's a sort of philosophical change from early D and D towards AD and D, but at the same time, I think it's hard to make the case that something like Pathfinder, which has so much like high magic stuff, so many magic items, so many of the kind of classic things that aren't really as present, like, you know, you're not expected to be grubbing for treasure and all that sort of stuff in Pathfinder nearly as much. I, I really doubt that that is what Gygax would have envisioned a third edition of AD&D to be like. I'm going to break in here because I do want to comment on something. In Minion's call last episode, he did say something very important that I agree with, which is ultimately it doesn't really matter if Pathfinder's the direction Gygax would have taken in, and arguably that kind of thought just leads to addition wars. But that said, since we're into the topic, we have to remember that Gygax had nothing to do with 2nd edition. He had been forced out of TSR by the time 2nd edition came out. If you want to see where Gygax probably would have taken second edition, you have to look no further than Joseph Blocks. I'll probably pronounce his last name wrong. Bravo Lima Oscar Charlie Hotel. But his excellent Adventures Dark and Deep, published by BRW Games, Bravo Romeo Whiskey. And there will be a link in the show notes. Joseph did extensive research in reading what Gary wrote and said in a variety of sources, from Dragon Magazine to the published material like Unearthed Arcana, to even private correspondence. And and so his Adventures Dark and Deep is probably the closest thing we'll ever see to what Gary wanted AD&D 2nd Edition to be. What, a, what Gary did after he left TSR, I don't think necessarily is a good way to look at where he would have taken AD&D, because obviously he had limitations and legal limitations, and he couldn't be too close because he didn't want to get sued. So so I don't know how closely we can look at that, other than maybe comments he made in, in interviews and all. But in published games, I don't know if we can really mine those for his AD and future AD&D ideas, because I'm sure he was a little worried about legal action. But all that said, I'm going to turn it back over to Arlen, who may um, ruffle some feathers with his next comment. So let's hear that. But also, and this might sound like heresy, I, I feel like it's worth saying, who gives a shit what Gygax's version of AD&D 3rd Edition would have been like? Because honestly, if you actually look at AD&D 1st and 2nd, there's a lot that is just mechanically, I think, kind of broken or not very good about those games. And if we're expecting, you know, by comparison, I think, for instance, somebody like Greg Stafford, who admittedly designed Pendragon and I love Pendragon, all that sort of stuff, made what I think are, in a lot of ways, much better, more interesting games where the math actually works compared to Gary Gygax. So that's my bit of RPG heresy for today. Um, 
And I think there is definitely a reason that D&D has gotten much larger with each of these, you know, third, fourth and fifth editions than it was in first and second edition. You don't necessarily have to play that last one if you don't want to start an argument about Gygax or anything like that. But I thought I would, you know, throw down the gauntlet and if you want to play it and people want to respond to it, they are welcome to. Hey, Arlen, no worries. You do not have to worry. I will definitely play it. I very much enjoy my place as the editorial page of the Anchor Sphere, and I'm happy to host arguments and have people call in. As long as everybody's respectful to each other, I'm happy to host differing views and have people call in and use my podcast as letters to the editor. So, but that said, I'm not going to comment on that. I'll let my listeners comment on the on your ideas there. But what I am going to do before we go to the next set of Arlen's calls is I'm going to cut in here and do a quick unboxing. Actually, it's a series of mini unboxings. So let's go to that. Unboxing time. So actually, this isn't really RPG related, but we'll open it anyway. This is a big box from U.S. Wings. What this is, so I've had the same flight jacket, or I say flight jacket, that's not really accurate. I've had the same leather jacket. It's not, I guess it is a flight jacket, so I'd have to go look the number up. But it's a leather flight jacket, bomber jacket. It doesn't have like sheep line coating or anything, but it's got like the map on the inside. Anyway, nice leather jacket. I've had it for 20 some years, and it's seen its much better days, and it's kind of worn out. So U.S. Wings provides the... Indiana Jones jackets, like to the stuntmen at Disney World and stuff like that. And what I did is ordered a um, Cape Buffalo indie style venture jacket from them. And the problem was, unlike the jacket I had before, which was a medium, which actually fit me, this one, I guess, is fitted correctly. So when I got it, what I really need is like medium shoulder sleeves and an extra large gut because, you know, I'm pear-shaped. So I had to send this back to them and they sent it back to modify it so I could have a, you know, a wide body but with shortened sleeves and all. So, so it fit. So I am now, for the first time, opening the box and trying it on. So let's see if this is actually going to fit me. And wow, it's still kind of tight. Now it's got some adjust, it's got some tabs on the back you can adjust. So we're going to see. But yeah, so that fits. And I was worried. I didn't have them adjust the shoulders. I just have them short the sleeves. But you know, I think it's actually going to work out pretty good. So I'd put a picture up for it. And shoot, sleeves are a little bit too short to be honest. Um, yeah, they're okay. They're probably half an inch too short, to be honest. So you put my arm all the way up, and yeah, the sleeve's a little bit too far down. But you know what? It's close enough for government work. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if I got my arms on my sides, you can't see my wrists, so that's good. If I put my arms out to my side, yeah, you still can't see my wrists, so they're okay. Um, if I reach forward or reach above my head, you can see, of course, my wrists and, my, and, and the, you know, that inch of arm. So, but whatever. Um, I'd put a picture of this up, but 
you guys have all seen Indiana Jones, so you know what it looks like. So there you go. Uh, don't worry, I'll do another unboxing. It's RPG related here in a second. Okay, I know a jacket's not that exciting, but you know, I've been wearing the same one for two decades. And it, well, it gave great service, it was time to replace it. So, that said, let's open something else. And I don't know, I said I was going to do something game related, I actually don't know. I've got some books here, but I don't know what they are. So let's see what these are. These are actual, like, paperback books. Um, this one is... Ooh! John Steakey's Vampires. So, if you're going to run a modern vampire game, this is a good one to base it off of. Um, basically, they're, if, if it follows the movie, so this was made as John Carpenter's Vampires. Um, and in that movie, of course, you have vampire hunters that are bankrolled by the Vatican. And it stars um, James Woods. So... If you're interested in that, I recommend that movie. It's a pretty good flick. Let's open another book. I've got a bunch of books here. Maybe I'll find something else that's interesting. We've got... Hmm. I'm not sure what this is from the, the thing. Oh, okay. Here we go. The Dude and the Zen Master. Jeff Bridges and Bernie Glassman. I saw a, a thing where they got the crew or the you know the the actors from the Big Lebowski together like twenty year twenty years later, and they were talking. And um, is that old? Is it twenty years ago? Wow, maybe not twenty years. Maybe it was fifteen or ten years. Anyway, but they got them together, and and Jeff Bridges mentioned he got together with this guru and wrote a book about the dude and Zen. So. I thought that might be interesting to look through. So there's that book. And the next one, if I don't cut myself with my knife, is... Um, oh, here we go. This is definitely RPG-related. The Complete, Complete Enchanter. L. Sprague de Camp and Fletcher Pratt. Except no substitutes. So these are all the Harold Shea stories in in one volume um this is one of the books that definitely was an inspirational D, D. you'll you know you'll see it in appendix n um and basically these you have a um basically i i, I want to say they're psychology or physicists maybe anyway they're they're modern guys that figure out a way to travel into fairy tales and into stories and things like that so they go on kind of into myths so they go into on all kinds of neat adventures so that's very cool i've not read that so i will read it soon it is also where um hmm I'm trying to think there there are some some important like say D D isms that were based out of that book the last thing i'm going to open is oh the other important john streaky book armor which I think I might have a copy somewhere. I don't know where it is. But John Streaky's Armor is another... It's a it's a sci-fi book. It's not so much a... Well, I guess you could use it for sci-fi role-playing stuff. Gadget. Get out of that. Um, but yeah, it, it's a... 
I haven't read it for, for many years. I think I read it, maybe I read it in high school. Um, John Streaky's Armor from 1984. But um, yeah, so I look forward to reading that again as well. And I think that's enough unboxing for you guys today. So I will move on to the next part of the show. Okay, to finish off the show, we've got Arlen Walker weighing in on the page count debate. So as you probably remember, if you've been listening to the podcast for a little while, Colin Green over at the Spike Pit RPG podcast called me out. I was saying, I was one of the arguments I was saying that against 5e was the fact that effectively the three core books are a thousand pages, 996 pages. And he's, Collins rightly said, hey, page count's not a good judge of complexity. And I admitted that. And that led to our contest, which if you weren't aware, I have a contest going on. You still have time to enter. Sometime, you know, you have till St. Patrick's Day, 17 March, to send me this entry. Send me an entry, an audio file saying your definition of rules heavy, rules light, and complex as far as RPGs go. You can send it using the Anchor app. You can send an email to nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com and attach an audio file. If you can't do audio, send it. just send me an email or reach out to me on Discord, and, and I'll read your entry. But, you know, send me those definitions, and I'll put your name in the drawing, a random drawing, for a $20 drive through RPG gift card. But anyhow, so... Taylor from the Clericsware Ringmail blog called in and left some messages about complexity, you know, kind of sort of defending the idea. So Arlen is calling in. I think Arlen's kind of done a mic drop here. He's done his, his little, not little, but his definitive, pretty definitive argument against using page count for complexity. So I'm going to let that close the show out. And after Arlen's call, we'll go into the end music, and the ending theme from TJ Drennan, all the music here is from TJ Drennan. The art, by the way, is from Ray Otis. And after the ending music, we have a call from Carl Rodriguez, Game Master Extraordinaire. And Carl gives my past co-host, Eric Salzweedle, of the 3D Omega Chicken Coop podcast, he gives Eric a hard time. And he weighs in on the kind of social commentary I did back, I want to say, episode 176. Because some of those comments are a little controversial, I put them after the end credits. So that's about all I have. Thank you to all my callers. Thank you to my listeners. And now I'm going to turn it over to Arlen, like I say, to drop the mic on the page count discussion. And then we'll the end music, and then we'll have some controversial comments from Carl. So here we go. Hi, Jason. It's Arlen. I'm weighing in on the discussion about page count versus rules complexity. Um, I So I would say that there, while there seems to be a um, – it is sort of easy to suggest that uh, obviously a game with more rules will need more pages to explain those rules. I think, as we might say, that the, the deviation between different um, systems is enough that there really isn't a, a good way to compare a game's complexity through page count. Um, that essentially... Um, despite the fact that in a sort of idealized version of the game, right, a version that is just the rules with no art and with consistent layout between different games and all that sort of stuff, we would say, yes, a game like that is going to be more or less complex than another. 
another game based on how long the rules are in all likelihood. That seems pretty easy to say. I think between art and layout differences, and especially what I'm going to get into, which is things like rules explanations, that that really doesn't hold enough weight in practice to put any emphasis on page count. And I think there are, there are a couple of obvious examples. One of the things uh, that makes this difficult, of course, is that complexity of a game is pretty subjective. And I think often when people talk about games as being too complex for them, it really has to do with um, the kind of actual complexity of the game, but also how intuitive that complexity feels to the particular player or GM. And I think that's one of the places where we run into these sort of problems because, for instance, somebody who has played a lot more old school games will find a game like Astonishing. Swordsman and Sources of Hyperborea a lot less complex because it is something similar to stuff that they already know than a game that I would say is probably at about the same level of complexity, but might not be as intuitive as another game. So for instance, I think Conan 2D20 is not much more complex than a game like Ash if you're playing with all of the kind of special rules for Ash, maybe a little bit, but not a whole lot, but a lot of people are already really familiar with the way that something like Ash works, whereas Conan 2D20 is its own kind of custom system that Modiphius uses for its games. If you were very, very familiar with the 2D20 games and not familiar with D&D at all, I think you might even say that Conan 2D20 is less complex than Ash because it feels more intuitive. And so that's one of sort of the problems that we get into, right, is the subjectivity of game complexity. But there are a couple of examples that we can use that are relatively non-subjective. And one of the big ones, I think, is Fate Core versus Fate Condensed. Fate Core is a um, not super, super thick book, but a fairly thick book um, that explains all the Fate rules. Fate Condensed is essentially the same game. There are a couple of very small rules tweaks, but presented in a different way. Fate Core goes into a lot of examples of play, a lot of explanations of rules, a lot of that sort of stuff, whereas Fate Condensed basically assumes that you already know how to play Fate and doesn't explain all of that stuff. It just sort of gives you, here's what the rules are, as a sort of quick reference almost, so that if you already know how to play Fate, it's probably easier to just pick up Fate Condensed, whereas if you're trying to learn how to play Fate, Fate Core might be the one you want to pick up. Anyway, what that means is that this is, this is a situation where we can say, at least in the case of Fate Core versus Fate Condensed, page count has really nothing to do with game complexity because they're essentially the same game, right? These are, these are essentially just two different presentations of pretty much the exact same game. It would be silly to say that one of them is more or less complex than the other one, but they have very different page counts. Fate Condensed is a much slimmer volume than Fate Core is. And I think that actually gets us into, so that's a sort of good example of where this argument falls apart, but we can go further and say that there is a sort of logical discussion about this argument and the, the fallacy of considering that a game's page count is related to its complexity. And that is using the example of rules explanations and rules examples. 
So rules explanations and rules examples, by which I just mean essentially any time within the rules where rather than just saying, here's what the rule is, there is an explanation of how the rule works or an example of how it is used in play. And I think that one of the things about these types of things is that they make those rules feel much more intuitive in play, right? Reading a rule book with a lot of examples in it means that when you actually get to the table, you will have a much more intuitive understanding of how these rules work rather than just having the explanation of here's how the things happen in the game without any of that sort of stuff. And what that means is that I think most people who play a game or who read a game then play a game where there are a lot of examples in the book will say that that game with examples is either less crunchy or less complex or fits their ideas of what the game should be better than the version without those rules examples, which means that we could essentially make the, I think there's a strong argument to be made that a book could have more pages and yet the game that is essentially the book in play will feel less crunchy and less complex because of those more pages if those more pages are related to the, um, the rules examples, rules explanations, all of that sort of stuff. Which I think really is the point at which we can say, okay, if there is a situation, if there is an obvious reason for more pages to make a rule system feel less crunchy, then it makes no sense at all to consider that a longer rule system will always be or even consistently be more crunchy. So then we get into, we go from the sort of that argument to the use case argument. I think that if you, for instance, are like in a friendly local gaming store and you have 20 seconds to pick out a book that you're going to get, then using page count as a heuristic is a, a good enough way to decide which book you're going to get. But in pretty much any other situation, if you have time to open up the book, or if you're on drive-through and you can look at the free preview, anything like that, I think that will give you a much better idea of whether the game is for you than any kind of in indication based on the page count. That the generalization based on the page count not only is it not very accurate, but it is not actually very useful at all if you have enough time to do basically even the most. Uh, superficial level of research, even just opening up the book or looking at the uh, example pages in drive through or reading the summary, the summary on the back of the book or on the drive through page or wherever else, or reading a review or anything like that. Basically, anything that you do beyond just looking at the pages of the books uh, in terms of the total number of pages is going to give you a much better idea than of whether the game is going to be at your uh, desired level of crunchiness than looking at the page count. I don't think there's a real, I really don't think there's a good case for a use case scenario where looking at the pages of the book has any particular meaning for whether or not the game is the sort of crunch that you are going to enjoy. Because it's so easy, you know, if you can see the pages, the page length, you can almost certainly look at at least the table of contents of the book and see kind of like, how is the book laid out? What is the art like? All of these other things that are going to help decide whether or not the game is for you.
Anyway, I have some more examples about why page count is not related to game crunchiness, but I think I will end there by just saying I really think that, you know, it is a convenient generalization that sort of makes sense as an idealization, but that realistically it is um, not accurate to the actual, you know, to an extended look, and it is not very useful in the quick situation that, you know, you're better off opening up the book to a random page and looking at the layout than you are counting the total number of pages in the book in terms of whether or not the book is going to be for you if you're trying to get a new RPG book. And you're much better off taking a little bit more time and doing some research online or in the store or something like that because that's going to tell you so much more about whether the book is for you than just the page count. Joked about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I fiddle shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. I want some more, bring on the there is a dustman and your moil is by a tipper And I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper Don't look away This is a uh, reminder to Eric Salzweedle, who is a big Packers fan, that the Packers lost to the Buccaneers this year in the playoffs. Go Bucks! Raise the red flag, fire the cannons, Super Bowl champions. I think you have something there. I didn't listen to your rant, but I, you probably do venerate sports stars and entertainers. And I agree with Joe. Maybe it's better. I mean, look at how they're treating Meghan Markle, the uh, Duchess of Sussex. I mean, it's total miscegenation. They don't want their bloodlines tainted, um, either the British public, I guess, or the royals themselves. It's disgusting. And it's probably true, thinking about what Eric said, even though I ribbed him because he's a Packers fan and they lost this year to the Buccaneers in the playoffs. I think I said that already. I'm just reiterating it because it's probably like a once in a, you know, solar cycle millennia that that happens anyway we do i think the only people i'd want to meet i don't want to meet politicians because i think they're full of crap i mean i'll meet other scientists but so we could talk science um but some of these famous scientists are really pieces of work these famous people i don't know maybe it gets to their head i would like to meet some athletes uh someone i think is super cool uh, is uh derek brooks 
a former player for the Buccaneers from the early aughts. Um, that's about it that I can think of. Maybe Brett Favre, who did play for the Packers. He seems like a cool dude to want to ha to hang out with. And, you know, um, there you go. Peyton Manning, because he, you know, he sells insurance. You want light touch, Connolly? Slap thought your Americans gonna crush you to dust.